Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I don't know how many of you guys were fans of the show The Office, um, but there was a stretch of time where that was a show that just made me laugh. And there was one scene um, that, that I always found really hilarious. Michael Scott is the boss in The Office, and he's out driving a rental car. If you know the show, you probably already know what the scene was. But he's out driving a rental car, and the GPS lady is telling him where to go. And what happens is he gets to a certain spot, and there's, there's a right-hand turn immediately, and then there's a bridge with a right-hand turn right after that. And the lady on the GPS says, take right-hand turn now. And he's, so he's sure that the GPS lady knows why he's, she's saying to, to turn right right now. The problem is this right turn, it goes right down into a boat landing, right into the water. And so he's like, well, I got to take the right right now. And his buddy Dwight's sitting in the passenger seat. He's going, no, no, you're not supposed to. That's a boat landing. You're going to go in the water, go up past the bridge, and then take a right. That's, and he's like, no, she's telling me. She knows things. She knows what I should do here. So he drives, he drives off the road goes into the water, and they have to swim out of the car. And then Dwight's like trying to save him. It's, that's even better. But super funny stuff. And what happens here is th- this, this Michael Scott guy, he gets confused a lot. And this is a situation he got confused because he was not very good at looking at the entire picture. He never saw the entire picture of things. Uh, there's times where we all get confused. There was a time, and I talked about this a little over a year ago, there was a time where Crystal and I, we were texting with each other, and we got really confused. I, I texted her something, and I thought it made a lot of sense. Here's actually what the text was. You might see it on the screen. I said, bring a bag if you are still there. Our daughter didn't bring one of her things, one for her things. Um, to me, that, that made sense. My, my daughter, we went to this place. She had a bunch of stuff in her hands, and I'm walking. I'm like, why don't you have a bag for all that stuff? She's like, oh, just what it is. So I texted Krista. I'm wanting her to bring a bag from home so she my daughter has stuff to put it in. So my wife replies, uh, okay. And I should have found that fishy. She never texts me, ah, uh, okay, like that with all the H's afterwards. I'm like, I should text her. So she comes to, to where we were at, and I'm like, hey, did you bring the, did you bring the bag for, for our daughter's stuff? And she gets this dumbfounded look on her face. She's like, what? You know, the, she needed a backpack. She's got all this loose stuff. She's like, oh, that's not what I heard. She brought a bag of certain toiletry items for our daughter, thinking that's what I was talking about. No, honey, that's not what I was talking about. Major confusion happened that day. And it was a little embarrassing, for, at least for me. Um, when we read the Bible we can come away with some, some really wrong ideas because we kind of do one of two things that is sort of what happened in both of these stories. We either don't look at the picture, the whole picture in correct context, or we read into things, we read uh, into the situation things that actually aren't said. You know how often we read into things that aren't actually said? We do that in life a lot, and we actually take that same habit, and we, we do that with reading Scripture. We see things that aren't there. And so this passage in Colossians, it is definitely a passage uh, that, that can be one of those kinds of passages. 
uh, Colossians 3.18 through chapter 4, verse 1. It's really about how we're supposed to respond in relationships with people around us as human beings. But a lot of people, they, they look at this passage and they don't take it in, in, in the whole picture in total context. They read into things that Paul's saying that he actually isn't saying. And so what happens is there's a lot of confusion. And actually there's a lot of frustration sometimes. Um, but I, wanna, I think the question for us right now today is this. Can we gain some important insight into what Jesus is telling us of how we're called to live in a way that's healthy, even when there's things in the message that could trip us up? Because I guarantee that the, this passage, it's probably tripped up a lot of you at some point. Okay, And so we're going to look at this again. Colossians 3.18 through chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read it. Can I, just, can I ask you this? Don't give up on the passage before I get all done. All right, here we go. Wives, submit, to your husband, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. There you go. Can you just stay with me for a little bit, though? All right, just stay with me. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so how many warning bells were going off in your heads as I read that passage? All right, we got wives submitting to their husbands. Check. Warning, warning going off. We've got stuff about slaves and masters. Check number two. This passage, I'm just being honest with you. As a pastor, I know it. I have conversations with people. This is a passage that, that makes people mad. And it makes a lot of people not want to hear the Bible. Because they look at this and they go, something doesn't fit right. And, and if I'm going to be honest with you, without context, just reading these words at face value, it feels like Paul is advocating for things that we in our present day um, American life we don't just balk at it. We look at this and we go, that sounds immoral. There's things in there that just don't sound right to me. The idea of a woman being less than a man so that they have to submit to that man, awful. The idea of allowing slavery, equally or even more awful than the first one. To hear what Paul is actually saying in this passage, we can't not address these two things. And so we're going to do that a little bit today. If Paul is saying what it seems like, what it feels like we think he's saying, he, it doesn't seem like he's worth listening. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that, that they don't listen to it because they don't see this, this passage in context. So here's a question I got for you. I wanna, we're going to skip verse 18 for a second. Don't worry, we're going to come back to it. We're going to skip verse 18. We're going to go to verse 19. I want, I want you to hear what verse 19 says. He says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now when you hear that, Husbands, love your wives, don't be harsh with them. When you hear that, do you automatically go, Oh, that's just something for husbands to do. Paul doesn't think that, that wives have to love their husbands. And they can be harsh with them. Because he's only saying for husbands to do it. 
We don't think that way with that verse because every single one of us, we know that the, the, the story of the Bible is love. So we're supposed to love everybody. And so, yeah, he's saying it for just husbands, but we know wives are supposed to love their husbands. They shouldn't be harsh with them. But then we get to the next, the verse before that, and we get ticked off. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Can't tell you how many times I've been talking with people before they get married, and they're like, don't even bring that verse up in a wedding. I get it. I really do. We hear this, and, and it's like we become aghast. We, it's, it's just, how in the world could the Bible say this? This is something radically sexist that we find in the Bible. Look, the Bible is saying that women are on such a lower level than men that the man is supposed to be able to, to, to rule the house. It's not what it's... If you actually believe that, then you also have to look at verse 19 and say, wife doesn't have to love the husband. And none, none of us are thinking that. None of us think that. Just because Paul says for wives to submit to their husbands, it doesn't actually mean that husbands also shouldn't submit to their wives. I hope that we understand that as we read this passage. We're all supposed to live in, in, a, in a state of submission. A healthy relationship, especially between spouses, there's always going to be submission to one another. No one, there, never is there going to be total submission for, from one to the other. Believe me, if that happened in my marriage, my kids would be a lot worse people. Because my wife understands how to parent children way better than I do. And so when it comes to parenting, I feel like I'm constantly in a state of submitting. You know, you, you, you seem to get this better than I do. So yeah, let's, let's I listen to your wisdom on that. But then there's areas in our marriage where she, she submits to me and shows me and my, and my daughters what it looks like to be, to be humble, to be submissive, just as we all are called to be humble and submissive people. Because that's what Jesus is like. Um, I think we all kind of hate the word submission. None of us like the idea of submitting. My, my, my third daughter, Sadie, she is a little crazy sometimes in all the good ways. Uh, she is very, very a, a physical touch kind of person. So am I. And she's so much a physical touch person that she outdoes me sometimes. She comes and she wants to wrestle. I'm telling you, she needs brothers. She ain't going to get no brothers. That ship has long past sailed. But she's not going to get any brothers, but she comes and she'll wrestle me. And to the point that sometimes I'm like, you're hurting me. Stop it. I, don't, I can't even break away from you. She has a grip that literally, once she gets her legs gripped around you, like you can't do anything with it. And so what happens is sometimes, I'm not, I'm not really proud of this, but I put her in things like submission holds. Because I just got to get her off of me. And so I'm twisting her arms all crazy. And, and the, other, the other day, my wife is like, that's too much, honey. I'm like, but if I don't let go, she's coming back. <laughs> and it's a real thing, guys. Like, I, and there's times where I've I'm, I'm, I'm got this hold on her, and I'm starting to feel like, okay, this is getting close to CPS coming. Uh, I get that. And so I start, I let go. And the moment I do, she's right around, and she's doing stuff to me. It's crazy. She... She doesn't submit. And I will, I'll have her in the hold. I'll go, tap out. Tap out. Tap out! She's like, she, she can't, she, she's like, no, I'm not going to do it. You're going to give in. I'm like, man, kid, you're crazy in a really good way. So she, she doesn't like to submit. She doesn't like to tap out. We don't like to submit as human beings. It's just something in us. We think that the word submission is bad. 
But I want you to hear this. Submission is Jesus. Jesus did not have to take the beating that he took before he went to the cross. Jesus did not have to go to the cross and have nails pierced into his hands and in his feet for our sake. But he submitted to the will of the Father. A heart of submission is the heart of Jesus. It's not fighting for your own rights, but it's giving up rights for the sake of someone else. Neither a husband nor a wife is meant to try and dominate the other. And actually, I think that's a little bit of why Paul says it the way that he says it in this passage. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Maybe it's because those are the things that, typically speaking, generally speaking, wives and husbands are going to struggle with the most. I know for me, I have a tendency, as a man, I love myself. I love my time. I love me. And I need to be told at times, hey, you got to love others more than yourself. This doesn't mean that husbands aren't supposed to submit, that wives aren't supposed to love. Remember, Paul also says at the end of this verse, he says, yeah, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We kind of we pass over that idea sometimes. If a husband isn't loving the way that he's supposed to, now don't, don't say this, well, my husband doesn't love me the way he's supposed to, I'm never going to submit. That's not exactly what Paul's saying there with the as is fitting in the Lord. But there is, you know, we're, not, we're also not subject to abuse. Paul's not calling us to be subject to an abusive relationship. Ephesians 5, and 23 also talks about wives submitting to their husbands. And it actually even calls the, the husband, the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. I actually think people struggle with that even more. Like, and I get it. But what does it really mean that Christ is the head of the church? Does that mean that Christ sits over the church in a, dict- in, in a dictatorial kind of, of way? No. What, the way that Christ is the head of the church is he literally gave up everything for the church. He gave up his entire life for the church. He sacrificed everything. And so what Paul is calling, us to, calling men to is a thing that is harder than anything that we could possibly do. It's not, hey, you get to be the head, you get to be the leader, you get to be the authority, all that. It is your number one job is to love your wife so well that you'd give your life up for her. That you will sacrifice everything for her sake. Paul is calling husbands to a really difficult thing here. And the right thing. If at any point the Bible calls men out to be leaders in the home, I think maybe it's for this reason. I think maybe it's because women already naturally take a role of leadership in the home. It is natural to women. I'm telling you, come to my house one day. Just come to my house, hang out in my house, sit on the couch for a day, and tell me who the better leader is between me and my wife in the home. It's not even close, you guys. (laughs) My my kids would sit and watch TV all day long if I was the only parent. But I'm grateful for the leadership that my wife brings. I think God calls me to be a leader in the home because if, if, if that calling isn't there, so much of the time I will just give over all that leadership to her. But men are also called to take a lead. A home where a man is not also leading, is a, it's a weak place. It's a much weaker place than it, than it is otherwise. Ephesians 5.22, as well as this passage in Colossians 3, it calls wives to submit, but I want you to hear the verse before that. In, in Ephesians 5.21, I want you to hear what it says. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Every single follower of Jesus is called to live in submission to one another. This is a humility thing that Paul is trying to pull out of us. 
It's not one or the other. It is every single one of us are called to live in submission. This passage is not a passage that we should look at and read it as though it's each specific statement is applying only to one specific type of person. This passage is about human relationships in general. It's meant to show us across the whole gamut of human relations how we're supposed to humble ourselves and treat others in, the way, in a way that does not put ourselves first. These principles that we see being lived out are for everybody to live out. And here's the reason why we see these principles in this passage. Every single one of these principles, you can see it lived out in the life of Jesus. Every single one of them. Did Jesus submit? Yep. Did Jesus love well? Yep. Did Jesus not embitter those who were children? He was the only one who said, yeah, bring the, bring the children to me. Ah. So how does this help explain the second really misunderstood part in this passage? Let's be open about this. Paul is talking about slaves and masters in this passage. And so the assumption for a lot of people is, the assumption is that the Bible and, and God by extension is totally fine with slavery. That Paul doesn't call out slavery as being something, an awful institution. I want to assure you that it's not the case that God is okay with slavery. Uh, again, Paul's not trying to specifically call, uh, certain, call out certain types of people. He's also in this passage, his, his number one reasoning for this passage is not to call out certain institutions by name as being really, really bad. That's not the purpose of what he's trying to do. What he's trying to do is he's trying to help all of us see how we can better live out our lives for Jesus in the, in the circumstances that we live. Because he talks to husbands and wives, it doesn't mean that he's, that, that he's saying that single people have no place. Because he's talking to children, doesn't mean that he's saying that people who don't have children have no place. And because he's talking about slaves and masters, it also doesn't mean that he's making an argument that slavery is acceptable. Truth is that slavery existed in Paul's day. Uh, as bad as, as slavery has ever been, it, it's a bad thing that it existed then. It probably wasn't quite the harsh thing that we have in our mind of early America, but it was bad nonetheless. Slavery was bad in the Bible times. But Paul's objective was to speak to people where they were at and to show them all how followers of Jesus were expected to behave in relation to the people in their lives. He wanted people living in slavery as well as people living as slave owners to understand how they needed to become more like Jesus and treat people like Jesus. So what does he say to masters? He says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. Understand that this concept that he's saying here, it was completely outside the norms of the society back then. For people, for masters to hear this, they would have heard him saying, hey, the people that, are, that you are masters over, they're equal to you. Be fair. Be right towards them. And if that meant you need to set your, your slave free, then do it. If that's what being fair and just is. See, he, he didn't have to actually say the words to actually put it into practice. Maybe you should let go of those slaves. If if there was a debt that was owed, because a lot of times slavery back in this day was somebody owed a debt, and so they, they sold themselves to that person, and then they would work off the debt. If they've worked off the debt, let them go. And if they are still working off the debt, maybe you treat them like an employee, not a slave. There's a difference there. He's telling masters, 
love people the way that Jesus would. Be right and be fair. And I think what happens here is a lot of people, they, they look at the Bible and they say that the Bible never makes the claim that slavery is bad. Uh, Bill Maher, I was watching a video of him the other day, uh, and he said, he says a lot of stuff I don't like, okay? But he says some stuff that, it, like, okay, I got to think about that. And here's what he said. Both Testaments have lots of rules and laws about slavery, and none of them are, don't do it. That never crossed their mind, don't do it. I hear what he's saying there, but I actually think that this is a, a huge misreading of one of the biggest storylines in the entire Bible. I'm going to take you back for just a minute to the time when the Israelites were in, they were, they were in slavery, held in, as slaves in Egypt. For 400 years, the Israelites were held in captivity to, and they were slaves to the Egyptians. And for those 400 years, they went through as awful of an experience as slaves as you probably could go through. It was torturous. And what happened is, after 400 years, God calls this man Moses out from the desert. He had, he had fled Egypt after he had murdered a guy, and he ran away, scared for his life. And after 40 years, God calls this dude back to come back to his homeland. Um, he, he grew up in Egypt, but he was an, an Israelite. Come back, and I want you to set the Israelites free. And so he went before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he would say, hey, God's saying, let my people go. And if it doesn't happen, the bad things are going to happen. And what took place was, in order for those, for those Israelites to be let go, it took ten incredibly awful plagues to hit the land of Egypt before Pharaoh finally let them go. Water turned into blood. Frogs everywhere. Lice everywhere. Flies everywhere. Pests upon the livestock. Boils on, our, on human bodies. Hail, locusts, darkness. And then finally the killing of the firstborn children in Egypt. Firstborn son. I'm telling you what, I'd have stopped at least at frogs. I've been like, you guys go free. <laughs> All right. Here's the thing about this. It was finally after those 10 things that the Israelites were set free. I believe these plagues were in part an indictment on that institution of slavery. It was not fair, and God knew it was not fair that the Israelites were kept in slavery. God is a God of freedom. You know how I also know that? God gave us free will. God could have very well said, I'm going to put these people in the, in the world, and, and I'm going to make them love me. That ain't free. God gave us freedom to love God, but also to do stuff really, really wrong. That shows me that God is all about freedom. He wants us to live in freedom. So when you hear people saying that, that the, Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't care about people's freedom and, and it thinks that slavery is fine, it is not true. God set slaves free with the biggest set of miracles ever known to man. That's how I know God is against slavery. It's one of the most awful things that humans have ever done, continually reinstating this despicable institution of slavery. And unfortunately, it's happened throughout history and it still happens today. Kids are in slave trades throughout the world. And it's one of the most awful things that, that exists. But I'm telling you, it is not to the liking of the God of the Bible. N.T. Wright, a brilliant theologian, he says it like this. Paul does not protest against the institution of slavery. That would be about as useful for him as a modern preacher fulminating against the internal combustion engine. What is he saying there? He's saying his purpose was so that he could tell Christians who were trying to understand how to live like Jesus, he was trying to tell Christians how to better live like Jesus, to show them how Jesus lived, and here's how you do it too. It wasn't just about trying to, to get rid of institutions that were wrong. So what does, he slay, what does he say 
uh, to those who are in slavery. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only with, when their eye is on you and, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work it out with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. See, I think a lot of people take verse 25 and they say, is he talking to the slaves there? I don't think he is. I think he's talking to masters. People do wrong to you. Don't worry. They're going to be paid. They're going to be repaid for it. There's no favoritism. Well, what's Paul trying to get across here? He's not saying it's okay that you're in slavery. He's trying to help those who are living in slavery to have the heart of Jesus, even in that place. How does this speak to your situation in life? You're probably in some not-so-fun situations yourself. Places where you don't feel like you're experiencing the freedom that you'd like to experience. Paul's message to the slave is a message to you. Do what is right when no one is looking. Always do everything as though it's for the Lord. Don't look inward, but look how you can serve Jesus outwardly. Do you see how that message is for you? It's not just for the slave. This passage is about your heart being right in all of these areas. Nothing more, nothing less. Your heart being right. The message to the wife is is Paul's message to you. Learn to live in submission as is fitting the Lord. You don't have to suffer abuse, but learn to live humbly in the sight of other people. The message to the husband is Paul's message to you. Love others. Don't be harsh with them. Jesus loved others. Wasn't harsh. The message to the child is Paul's message to you. Be obedient, whether to God or to human authority. The message of the father is Paul's message to you. Don't embitter other people with your behavior. The message of the slave, like, like I just said, is Paul's message to you. Do what's right when no one's looking. Always do everything as though it's for the Lord. The message to the master is Paul's message to you. Be fair and do what is right. Paul was kind of being specific in how he addressed all of these statements. But all of these statements are a principle that every single one of us are called to live by. And the reason for it is this. Each statement represents the goodness of Jesus being lived out in our lives. Each of these statements represents how Jesus himself chose to live with the humans around him. And in relation to his father. No matter where you go in life, you're going to be in a place where we need to be expected to, to, to live with the grace of Jesus as followers of Jesus. There's going to be times where you're always going to, you're always going to have that temptation to do what's best for you, not worried about what, what it's going to mean for the people around you. You're always going to have that, that spot in your life where you're, you're, going to, you're going to believe that you deserve to act in certain ways that, that may not be beneficial for the people around you. I think what Paul is saying here is the rule of Christ is to humble yourself in every circumstance. No matter what spot you're in. Because without that rule of Christ, what happens is there becomes like a sort of tyranny that happens between us as humans. We see it every day. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, if the home is to be a means of grace, it must be a place of rules. The alternative to rule is not freedom, but unconstitutional and often unconscious tyranny of the most selfish member. What's he saying? Because a lot of times I read C.S. Lewis and I got to take a step back and think through the whole sentence for about another four minutes. (laughs) What's he saying there? He's saying 
the rules that, that Paul's talking about here of how we're supposed to live with other people, they're there for a reason. Not to make us feel like we've got all these rules on us. The rules are meant to give us freedom so that I don't become the one who is creating tyranny in the relationships with other people. If I'm not willing to be a submissive person to the people around me, as is fitting in the Lord, I'm going to cause chaos. I'm going to wreak havoc in my relationships. If I'm not loving people and, and I'm being harsh with them, same, same deal. If you're in a spot where some sort of tyranny is being thrust on, on you, the tendency is to say, I don't have to respond well in this moment. What's happening to me is not fair. I can do whatever I want to do, and nobody can, can yell at me for it. But the test of loving like Jesus loves doesn't end when you're not being loved yourself. In fact, I think the test sometimes starts when we're not being loved well ourselves. And that's what Paul's trying to say here. There's times where you're going to be in the horrible spot. How are you going to choose to love people? There's also times where we fail on the other end of it, where we are in the position of power. And the tendency is when we are in the position of power to do the same type of thing. We become the tyrant. Pastors fail at this. Parents, teachers, coaches, CEOs, managers, politicians. All of us, we fail at this. Every single one of us, we have a place in our lives where we are the one in power. And like Paul tells the master, treat with fairness and justice with rightness. So before you walk on from this message, I want you to, think, I want you to take time to think about your relationships. We all have people in our lives who have power over us in some way. Sometimes those are the hardest people for us to love well. We don't like them. <laughs> could be a boss at work. Could be, it could be our, po our political leaders. What is, your, what is your relationship like with people in power over you? Are you willing to submit in ways that are fitting in the Lord? Or do you buck against that authority at every, every chance you can? On the other hand, we, have, we also have relationships where we are the ones in authority. We hold more power than the next person. Question is, do you use that power as a chance to give revenge for all the times that you've been hurt by people who are in power over you? It's crazy how that happens. People get in power and it's like they decide they're going to do all the bad stuff that everybody did to them. Or do you practice being fair and right with people in the same way that God practiced, practices that with us every day? He sent his son Jesus for us to be more right and more fair than what we ever deserved. Jesus went above and beyond to show grace to us. In fact, his idea of fair is actually letting what was unfair be done to him so that we could get the greatest fairness that could ever be possible. He was willing to let what was unfair be done to him. Are you living with the humility that is willing to take on some unfairness so that others have an opportunity at getting a fairness that they haven't necessarily earned or deserved? This whole passage, it's about the way of Jesus. Every aspect of this passage, it's for you and it's for me. We don't go home and, and say, hey, that one part in that passage, listen to it. <laughs> it's not that. Every single one of us is about me. About how am I letting Jesus affect the way that I love people? So I want us to aim at, at letting Jesus change the way we deal with people in our relationships. 
especially whether, whether we're in a place of weakness in the relationship or in a place of power in the relationship. It's really important for us to consider in all those relationships we have, okay, I feel like I'm the weak one right now. How am I, how am I loving the way that Paul's talking about in this? Okay, I feel like I'm the one in power in this situation. How am I loving the way that Paul tells me I'm supposed to love in that situation? Let's ask God to really change, change our hearts in some of these areas because I'm telling you, I know, I know for me, my heart's not always right in these, given, in these given situations. Let's pray together. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.